Well, hey, everybody, good to see you. Uh, man, year number 19 for me here. So uh, this is, you all just don't get any older there. I keep like, I keep getting way older. Like I was just outside of my 20s when I started this thing, and now I'm just inside of my 50s. So it's like, and you all don't get wrinkles or gray hair or anything. So, uh, but hey, it is good to see you all here tonight. Uh, you may be wondering why in the world we'd read a passage about a guy who was Jesus challenged to say, hey, give up all your money. Uh, it seems like that would be one of the most irrelevant passages you could possibly read to college students because I don't know if you all like me, but I was dead broke in college. Anybody have that dead broke feeling right now? Like, if you don't know how you're going to get through the semester financially, just show hands, like, no idea how you're going to pay rent. Uh, yeah, that was me all the time, but uh, in college. I remember looking under my bed for change so I could go buy sodas. Uh, it was pitiful, but I did make it through. Uh, I did eventually make it through. And uh, like I said earlier, I'm Brian, and I made it to CSF eventually. And just if you're new, if you're a freshman, you're like, hey, I don't know this guy. Uh, having served here 19 years, you, you'll occasionally see me on stage, though even the next few weeks we have. We have a lot of guest teachers that come through here. Uh, our girl Kate Grounds is going to be up here in a couple weeks. Um, our good friend that you probably you don't know, but some of you might, Mike Bro, if you know Mike Bro, uh, Bro is going to be here. Lot, lots of other, lots of other people around the way who come through, roll through CS7 Thursday nights. But I get to be up here with you tonight. Uh, just by way of knowing a little bit about me, uh, I do have a wife who I'm proud of and children. I don't know. Do we have a picture here? Maybe. Yeah, there we go. There, there's, there's our family, and we have a dog. So. My wife, Shelby, my daughter, Claire, Caleb, Miriam, me, and then Pause, who just tore her second ACL. Uh, she is, she's, but she's great. Um, we look really put together there and happy, uh, which we're often happy. I think we've got a genuinely happy family, but uh, for the most part, but we're very rarely this put together. So, uh, yeah, so we got to travel this summer, though, as a family. So this little crew, we weren't looking, you can take that down, but uh, we didn't look that great uh, as we traveled. We got to go to England this summer. Anybody doing any international travel this summer? A few people? Yep. So we got to go to England, which was awesome. We got to go to a British soccer match. Anybody been to a British, you know, Premier League game? Pretty... I'm not a huge soccer guy, but I'm a general sports fan. So it was wild getting to see, like, we were right on the edge of the, the, two, um, the two fan sections and just watching them and hearing them cuss back and forth at each other the whole game. It made, like, I don't know, UK UT games seem very mild in comparison. It was pretty intense. So it didn't, but it was a lot of fun getting to go there. Got to see a lot of museums, even ran into a couple of CSF people, Nathan and Maddie. I don't know if you're here. Uh, I was at the British Museum in the middle of London, and, I'm, and I hear this Brian Marshall, and I turn and I look, and there's Nathan and Maddie. Uh, two CSF folks there studying abroad. So I think I heard a, oh, there, I see Nathan back there. Um, but, you know, one of the highlights for me in going to England was getting to go to Oxford uh, because uh, my kids uh, all have names. It might not surprise you to hear, we love C.S. Lewis around here. Not everyone loves C.S. Lewis, but I love C.S. Lewis. And since I got to help name the building, we named the building here Lewis House, uh, which seeing everybody packed in this room makes me think, I can't wait to get over there into our larger space uh, pretty soon with stronger air conditioners and uh, more space to spread out, lots of cool stuff, which they tell me by the end of the semester at some point that that should be, that should be done across the street. So, uh, But back to England, got to go to Oxford, got to go to see this place C.S. Lewis taught and lived. 
got to go to his house, uh, went to his grave, which my kids thought was really weird, but I'm like just an emotional mess there. And, and, uh, but it was, it was a ton of fun. And, you know, if you don't know anything, if you don't know much about Oxford, Oxford is, uh, some people think, the oldest university in the world. Uh, it's right at coming up on, it, the people debate when it was actually started, there's a little bit of, of, of debate over this, but it's basically getting ready to come up later on this century on its thousandth birthday. So for a thousand years, Oxford University has been there. It was, you know, as many people say, though there's a little bit of debate about that, whether or not it was the first university in the world. And, you know, universities started springing up like Oxford around the world, somewhere in the 1100s, 1200s, and, and, and of course now you're here at this university. And it never occurred to me until recently why it was so important, especially back then, for universities to exist. And one of the biggest reasons was is that because books were so expensive. I mean, if you, if you know anything about bookmaking, especially old bookmaking, you know, you've seen those, those books where they had to handwrite everything. I mean, the, the printing press doesn't come along until, what, sometime in the 15th century. And so, you know, for the longest time, to make a book, you literally had to pay someone to sit there and write every word down. Then they had to, you know, get it together, bind it, and, and ship it off. The basic cost of a book in, in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago before the printing press, you could basically buy a house for the equivalent of what it would cost you to buy one book. And so books were really rare. And so what happened was these people figured out like, hey, you know what, if we store a bunch of books in one place, kind of if we store the knowledge database of the world in one place at that time, if we get a bunch of books together, people will come and study. And so libraries became the center of all these different universities. Uh, Every university has, you know, a a big library. I mean, we have one. You kind of see it someplace out the window there, the the large UK library. They are at the center of things. Even today, you can go to the, the Bodleian Library in Oxford beautiful, beautiful library, which, by the way, spring break trip, CSF, I think we're taking an England trip. So if you, if you want to go see the Bodleian Library, that's one of our trips. Florida, we'll hit Florida, skiing, hopefully in Colorado, all those places. We'll, we'll do a lot of stuff. But I, so in olden times, libraries were the center uh, of universities. It's what people came to do, to read the books, to gain the knowledge the books had. They couldn't afford their own. So libraries became the center. And it got me thinking is, what, what is the center of the UK campus? Like, here's a map. Like, this is a map of UK. So here, here's a map. So, you know, you've got the Arboretum over here. You've got kind of the football stadium. You've got the classroom building. I, you know, geographically, I suppose, like, the center is what? Seton Center? Is that? Is that that's kind of geographically right there in the middle. I, some guy's yelling. I don't know if his grandfather is Mr. Seton or what. Cole Marshall, is it you related to Mr. Seton? So geographically, maybe the center of campus is the Seton Center. Lots of people hang out there, play ball there, this sort of thing. I know I certainly spent a lot of time playing ball in college, probably too much. Uh, scholastically, maybe the center of, you know, of the university, if you were just thinking, okay, no, the center place for learning, what would you say, a classroom building maybe? Is that kind of a place? Does everybody in here eventually take a class, I assume, the classroom building? White, Whitehall, yeah, the classroom, yeah, Whitehall classroom building. POT, maybe the tallest place on campus. Uh, Willie T, late night cram sessions. I'm sure none of you all have done that. For some of you, maybe the center of campus, you're like, no, 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 the football stadium, right? Or Rupp Arena, which isn't even on here. That's, how many people came here because they were just a UK basketball fan? Just be honest. It had very little to do with scholastics. It was, okay, you were, you were just an enormous sports fan. Um, for some of you, maybe it, uh, the center of campus is your sorority house, your fraternity house. Maybe a few of you, the, the center point where you spend kind of your gravitational orbit of campus is right here at CSF and Lewis House, which, which I love uh, for you all. Um, you know, I know for me, 
I know for me, even after all these years, uh, I've got a lot of fondness for just uh, you know, my memories in college and thinking about the places I hung out, the people I got to be friends with, uh, all that stuff, all the, you know, the hills we used to go sledding on when there was uh, you know, snow days and all this stuff. Great, great memories. And as influential and as important as all those places are, what, when I look back now, after a few years ago, I graduated, I suppose I went off to college, uh, what, what, what year is it right now, 2023, is that right? So 33 years ago when I went off to college, uh, my 18th birthday, I headed off, moved out, literally moved to college. Um, I still, one of the things is I think that is the most important, actually it is the most important thing for me, has nothing to do with buildings, has nothing to do really with my major, any of that stuff. The most important part of my college years for me was the fact that I tried to put Jesus at the center of my college years. You see, for me, I had only been a Christian for about a year when I went to college. Uh, it was right before my senior year of high school when I had just you know, lived this fairly crazy life. I mean, I'd been kicked out of school, lots of other things gone on in my life, just another story for another time. But... You know, when I went back to my senior year of high school, uh, it was, a lot of people were shocked. I mean, frankly, I was shocked. I hadn't, this wasn't part of my plan to follow Jesus, but Jesus just got a hold of my, my heart, my mind, my imagination. I was like, yeah, I, I've been trying to do life on my own terms for so long. Um, and, and somehow I started to try to put Jesus at the center. And so when I went back for my senior year of high school, things were really different. There was this radical reorienting of my life because before my life, it had just always revolved around me. What I wanted to do, what I thought was best, what made me the, the happiest in any given situation. If dishonesty was, was what I thought would, would win me the most happiness in the moment, then I was going to lie. If it meant stealing, I stole. You know, if it meant you know, betraying a friend or someone who thought I was a friend, then I would do that. that. That is what my life looked like. I was revolving around myself and my own interests. But as I started to follow Jesus, I realized my life started to not orbit just around my desires, what I wanted. But I tried, very, very imperfectly, might I add, but I tried to put Jesus at the center. And as I went off to college, I recognized that, like, this is going to define my college years, is how much, how much will I allow Jesus to be at the center of my life? And again, it was imperfect, but I tried to consistently put him there. And so for you, I'm not concerned about geographically what the center of campus is for you. What you know, classroom buildings you spend the most time in, what, what you know, dormitory you live in, any of that. What I am concerned about, though, is who is at the center of your heart during these college years. What has your time, your interests, the desires inside of you, what is that gravitational center of your life that everything else ultimately orbits around? Well, back to this scripture that we read earlier. You, you might think that initially that, that passage is about money. You know, Jesus has this really tough exchange with this guy where this guy comes to him and, and ultimately Jesus says, hey, listen, you need to sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you might think, wow, okay, so Jesus wants people who are rich, who kind of, you know, have this idolization of money and wealth to give it up and, and follow him. And you'd be really, you'd be right in that. And if, you, if you have an idol of wealth and that sort of thing, then yes, Jesus is going to call you to say, hey, put that idol down. Don't let it be at the center of your life. But this passage is about way, way more than money. It's ultimately about a guy's heart and what's at the center of his life. You know, the man isn't a bad guy. He's not a bad guy, right? He's not, he's not an awful guy. 
I mean, in many ways, he, he seems like a decent guy. I mean, listen, listen to this again. He says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what's good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. If you want to receive, you want to live into this good life, you want a happy, fulfilled, flourishing, joyous kind of life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I have obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else do I need to do? He kept commandments. He was a good guy. He lived a decent life. He had done the best that he could do going through his life to, to lead kind of this good life that he thought would lead to prospering. He, he, was, he was moral. He was upright. And, he, and in the context of that time, he would have been super popular because people would have looked at him. One, just wealthy people tend to have, you know, people who want to walk along beside him in hopes they can get something from them. But they would have also looked at him as going, hey, you know what? This guy's wealthy. He must have God's favor. God must really like this guy. So he had really in some ways everything. He had money. He had popularity. It looked like from the outside even he had God's favor. But this guy comes because he knows something's wrong. He comes to Jesus and he says, you know, Jesus, what else? There's got to be something else. I can't do this on my own. I've been doing my best, but I've still got this hollowness inside of me. I've lived life the best of what I thought would bring me happiness. And he's like, Jesus, what else? What else can I add to it? If I can just add this one more moral accomplishment or get this one more thing, then maybe I'll find true happiness. But Jesus, Jesus is on a whole other level with this guy. This guy's just looking for some kind of religious advice from Jesus, saying, give me some advice, Jesus. Kind of give me one or two things to tell me what to do, and I'll go out of here. But Jesus knows that just one or two bits of a piece of advice, one or two good moral accomplishments isn't going to fulfill this guy. None of that stuff before it fulfilled him, and it wasn't going to fulfill him moving into the future. I mean, essentially what Jesus does is he throws a stick of dynamite in the guy's lap. And he says, I'm going to blow up your way of thinking about what's moral enough. And I'm going to blow up your way of thinking about what the good life entails. Jesus sees beneath everything there. Jesus looks down to his heart because he realizes his heart. His heart needs realignment. The way he is walking with money at the center of his life, ultimately, this, this idolization of popularity and, and, and wealth and, and being well thought of and, and living a quote-unquote good life, Jesus says, this isn't going to lead you to happiness. You're walking in one direction, and you've got to turn around and go the other way. It reminds me of a time when I was in the Grand Canyon. I got to live uh, out in the Grand Canyon one summer in college and, and uh, just worked for the park service and, and did some stuff with the church out there. And, and then we'd just spend on my days off, I would just do a ton of hiking. And we'd gather up some friends and we'd go hiking along and, and different trails. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, anybody been to the Grand Canyon here? A few, yeah, beautiful place. Done a hiking in the Grand Canyon because that's, a, that's another, another element. You, you know if you've been hiking in the Grand Canyon, there are some trails that have water on them. And you know, they're pretty well marked, and you know, hey, like, we, we're going to hike for a few miles. I mean, a lot of times it wasn't uncommon for us to do, you know, 10, 15 miles in a day. I will say that was a few years and a few pounds ago for me, uh, not doing that now. But we go on these long hikes, and you, you'd stop and refuel, get some water, and go on and, and finish out the hike. Well, on this one particular day, we go on this hike. We thought there was a water source that we were going to get to. 
And if you've been in the Grand Canyon in the middle of the summer, you know temperatures can get up to like 105, 110, sometimes 115 degrees inside the canyon. And we're walking and we're walking and we're going miles into the Grand Canyon at this point. We're probably five miles down inside, which means we've got to go five miles back uphill in this brutal, brutal heat. And, and finally, as, as we got deeper, deeper into it, the, the group we were with kept saying, no, 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 just a little further, just a little further and there's water. Just a little further and there's water. And finally, a few of us in there, we were, we were looking at the maps and we were trying to study. And we were like, hey, I think we've misread things. I think we, we misjudged things. We set out this morning thinking that if we walked down this path, it was going to eventually lead us to water. But at some point, we just had to own up to the fact that, you know what? We made a really, really, really bad call. And if we don't adjust this now... This could literally cost us our lives. In fact, there was an international student who was over there for the summer, uh, a French girl, and uh, for the life of me, I can't remember her name, which is interesting because uh, myself and, and another person, we helped save her life because she started passing out and, and was, was going into all sorts of, like, we were worried about her having a heat stroke. She, kept, she passed up two or three times, and we, we finally got her, and we put her, got her out of the shade, and there was an abandoned mine shaft there where they used to do some mining inside the Grand Canyon. And we took her, and we put her in this mine shaft, which was a little bit cooler, and let her cool down for a few hours. And then eventually, we, we hiked back out the other way because we knew that if we kept going this way, the way we thought was good, the way we thought was going to lead us to a lot of fun, some cool sights, some cool vistas to see, uh, if we kept going that way, we were going to die. And it was only by saying, you know what, we've made a bad call. We've got to turn around and we've got to go the other way if we're going to survive and if we're going to find life. See, this man was depending on his wealth to make him happy. He wanted Jesus to just add something into the mix. Because essentially what he's telling Jesus here is, Jesus, Jesus, I want to keep all my wealth. I want to keep all the things that make me happy. I just want you to add a little bit of, of you into the mix. But here's the reality is if we go to Jesus, if we go to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I just want a little pinch or a dash of you. That's not Jesus. If Jesus isn't at the center of things for you, if you don't come across Jesus and encounter someone who demands to be at the center of your life, lovingly demands, might I add, but demands to be at the center of your life, then you're not encountering the real Jesus. You're encountering a fictitious Jesus. You're encountering, I, I say this with all due respect, as someone who loves our country and, and is proud to be an American, you're, you're encountering oftentimes an American Jesus. We just set Jesus out and we go, oh, Jesus, don't you just want me to be happy and have all the things that culture says will make me happy? And I'm just going to kind of have you alongside, just kind of fulfilling my wishes. And if I need to pray to you, if I need something, I'll go to you. That's not the Jesus that, that is real. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus that this guy encounters. Jesus says, I have to be at the center. In fact, anything else you try to put in the center, if it's your money, if it's your moral accomplishments, anything, Jesus is telling this guy, you will not find life, you will not find happiness. But we're all like this guy, right? Right? I mean, we're all like him. I mean, I know I'm like him way too often. We're, we're people who try to pursue goodness. We're people who try to pursue happiness. We're people who try to pursue fulfillment on our own terms. We try to do it our own way. I mean, go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve. You know, they're like, hey, God, I know you told us not to go this way. The one thing, you gave us a lot of yeses, a lot of things we could enjoy, a lot of things we could appreciate in this garden. You gave us just one no, but we're going to do it our way. 
and sinners the world and brokenness sinners the world. And we've been doing it just like I know my kids. My kids get so ticked off at Adam and Eve sometimes. Mary, my, my little fiery 10-year-old redhead there, which lives into every stereotype of redheads you can imagine. My wife's a redhead as well, and, but she is just so fiery. She's like, oh, Adam and Eve, I could just kick them. You know, I'm so mad at them. You know, if they hadn't done this, you know, she blames all the sin in the world on them. And then I remind her, like, Mary, remember when you just punched your brother? Like, that's, you know, that's probably sinful, too, to be beating on him. Um, but... You know, we all do this. We all pursue life on our own terms. I mean, if you are honest, I know a lot of freshmen in here and a lot of sophomores who probably just got a new major, but we pick majors, right? A lot of times, not because we think, man, this really is going to be the fulfillment of using the gifts I've been given. And, and it's going to be a great service to the world that I can use these gifts and offer them or, or you know, whatever it is. A lot of times, if we're honest, we just pick a major because we're like, hey, I think it pays pretty well. I think I can make a fair amount of money doing that. And, and not that there's anything wrong necessarily with making money, but it's when money is at the center, when you want a career for the sake of pay. Or maybe for you, it isn't money that you're, you're putting in your career, you're putting at the center. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe you just go, man, I just want to live my life for the weekends. And, you know, maybe I, I just, yeah, I just want God to blink because I don't think that God understands, like, how good-looking UK girls are, um, and, you know, I just, or how cute UK boys are. Some of the boys, I, you know, there's one or two cute guys in here, I suppose. Um, okay, three or four. I won't name them, but Cole Marshall's taken, so he's an engaged man now, right? January 1st, getting married? Is that true? Yeah. yeah. As, as I have heard it said of CSF, CSF stands for Christian Spouse Founder as much as Christian Student Fellowship. Um, true story. But maybe it's sex you put at the center of your life. And you go, God, I just, I'm going to pursue you know, sexual pleasure. I'm going to put that at the center of my life. Or maybe it's popularity. You say, man, I'm just... I just want to pursue likes. I just want to pursue people, man, following me and liking my posts. And, man, I'll post anything. I mean, it's so sad to me. I heard a girl recently in this documentary I was watching, and she was like a, it was like a late, I couldn't quite tell. She was late high school, early college girl, but somewhere teenage, late teenage years. And she said, she said in this documentary I was watching, she said, I post when I'm sad and I'm alone and I just don't feel good about myself. She said, I post pictures of myself in like bathing suits, things like this, because I know boys will like it. And as a dad, my heart was just crushed to think like this is, this is what, you know, this is what she's after. This is what she's putting at the center of her life is the, the approval, the, 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 um, the sense of letting other people define her worth. And Jesus says, if you're looking for people to affirm you, if you're looking for any of this stuff, you're not going to find happiness. Money will go away. Sex, as is, is hard as it is maybe for you to believe, it won't always fulfill you. It won't be this ultimate thing. Um, popularity is fleeting and fickle. If athletics is your thing, eventually your body breaks down. If GPA is your thing, maybe a class will get to you that you don't have that straight 4.0 GPA anymore. All of those things that you are looking for your happiness, all those things will let you down. Because you see... The loneliest moment, and listen to me, 
And if you don't believe what I'm saying right now, I hope that, that somehow God plants this in your, your memory banks and someday you, you think back to this moment in this quote because I heard it probably 25 years ago and it registered inside of me and I found it to be absolutely true. Is the loneliest moment, the loneliest moment in all of life is when you've just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it's let you down. The loneliest moment in all of life is when you've just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it's let you down. You know, the first million dollars you earn, you go, man, I thought it would, I thought I'd feel a lot richer at this point and a lot happier. Or maybe that first job promotion you get where your boss says, man, we really want you to stay at this company for a long time. And you go, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I see myself doing the next 50 years. Or maybe it's that 100,000 followers plateau and you just think, wow, yeah, now that'll make me happy. You're looking at all these things out there. Maybe it's that relationship. I know for so many people, it's that relationship you're looking out and going, if I could just have these things, I'll find happiness. You might find pleasure. I mean, let's, let's, let's keep it real, right? I mean, you might find pleasure. Pleasure's out there to be had. I mean, like, like I've said many times before, if you're out, if you're out sinning and you're not, the, you know, you're explicitly going out and just going, hey, God, I've got this. I'm going to do things on my own way. And you're not having fun, then you're really, really getting hosed on this deal. Because the, the thing about, you know, the thing about walking away from God's path is that, you know, yeah, you might have some fun in the upfront moment, but that fun is fleeting. And that fun, it is a downward slope. You are going to need more and more and more of those types of things. And what fulfills you the first time, by the hundredth time, it's not going to fulfill you anymore. And you're going to need something different, something more, a different path, a slight twist, a different take on it. But Jesus says, instead of pursuing fun, instead of pursuing pleasure, how about pursue joy? Instead of something that disappears in a moment, how about something that can last a lifetime? of being treasured by me. Because, you see, Jesus, as soon as this guy walks away sad, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, you know what? Instead of putting your wealth in earthly things, why don't you store up treasures in heaven? Why don't you store up treasures in heaven? Why don't you look for your wealth, your, your, your security, your identity to be in something that's beyond this world? Why don't you look for it in me? Why don't you look for your treasure in me? Because... I treasure you. I'm not a big tattoo person. My brothers were uh, a lot older than me, and they had tattoos. And, and uh, you know, they always were like, hey, don't, don't get tattoos. And, uh, because, honestly, you know, they had, you know, motorcycle riders, this sort of thing. And, and they had all these different tattoos. And they are like, honestly, we just get tired of them. And I, I kind of wish I hadn't done it. But I know lots and lots of people get tattoos, and, and that's fine. I have nothing really for or against tattoos. Just for me personally, I don't. But did you know that God has something equivalent to a tattoo? It's tattoo on his hand. Isaiah 49, 16 tells us that God has our names not just tattooed, but he has them etched. He has our names etched in the palm of his hands. Not someplace on his back or someplace where it's hidden. Literally in the palms of his hands where he sees it. And he sees your name. He sees my name. When we've come through the way of Jesus, we have, God is like, you are my treasure. I look at you in the same way. I look at those kids in that picture, and I just go, man, I treasure them. I love them. That's one of the reasons I even just throw the picture up there, just because I'm so proud of them. They are my treasure. They are my wife's treasure. And you are God's treasure. And he is asking you to put your treasure in him, to find happiness, fulfillment, meaning in him. Almost five years ago to the night, tonight, 
first synergy of the semester, fall 2018. We often will just cover a, an introductory topic like tonight of just, hey, what is this semester? What can it look like? What could your college experience look like? And then next week and the second week, we hop into a series. Next week, we're hopping into this, uh, this series on the prodigal son of three weeks. And, and I'm doing one week, Kate's doing a week. And like I said, Mike Bro's doing another week. And... Um, but, but this, this first message in 2018, this girl was sitting there out in the room. I didn't know her at the time. She was a, a freshman from Cincinnati. Her name is Katie. And we talked about something similar that night about like, hey, if you are looking for fulfillment outside of Jesus, this, you are going to be disappointed. And she heard some of that. And God stirred something in her heart that night. And I had no idea. But she went home that weekend that fall 2018 weekend, she went home that weekend to Cincinnati, and she ended a, a multi-year relationship she had had with a guy from high school because she was like, you know what, I knew I was looking for happiness in, in a person and in ways that I knew just this isn't what God has for me. And I knew even though it was painful, although it was hard, I knew that's what I had to go do. And then she spent the next few years single. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done to this poor girl? Um, have I doomed her to a life of singleness? And she, she broke up with this, this boyfriend that she had been with for a while. But I knew just from listening to her, she was like, this is what God's calling me to do, to not look for my happiness in ways that God is telling me, don't walk down those paths. Not because I'm a cosmic killjoy. Actually, it's because God wants us to have joy, and he wants us to follow his ways. And, and Jesus is challenging. He challenged Katie that night. He's challenging this young man. He's challenging all of us in here to say, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your happiness? Will you trust me with joy? Will you trust me with the life of your path? There is no one in here smart enough. I don't care if you had perfect ACT and SAT scores and you had a 4.9, whatever you can get in high school now because of, you can take a million you know, uh, AP classes and get, get all kinds of bonus points on your GPA. I don't care. There's no one in here smart enough that they can track their way through life and find ultimate happiness on their own. We come to Jesus as our teacher, as our guide, as our Savior, because Lord knows we're going to blow it. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. We need his forgiveness. We need his guidance. Katie found it. She found it that night five years ago. In fact, uh, I was just even texting with her earlier today because she just texted me recently saying, hey, uh, can I have your address? I'm, I'm, I'm getting married. Uh, I'm, I've met a guy at church, and uh, man, great guy. I love him, and, and, uh, and we're getting married, and I want you to, I want you to be there um, because you encouraged me to say don't follow the ways that, that we think are best on our own, the ways that, that the world tells us, but follow the path of Jesus. Let me close with this one last little piece. You know, the story read tonight is from Matthew. And uh, there's, you know, if you know anything a little bit about the Bible, you know there's kind of four biographies of Jesus in there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Three of the four Gospels tell this story, four, three of the four Gospel biographies, these good news biographies about Jesus and his life and his good news, the freedom that we find in him, the forgiveness we find in him. Three of the four people who are telling those stories tell this exact story. But there's a little detail you get, uh, we read from Matthew tonight, there's this little detail that Mark gives us that Matthew doesn't hit. And he says this, he says, he just, it's this little line. He says, when he came up to Jesus and they started interacting with him, he said he looked at Jesus, and this is what Mark says. He says, Jesus looked at him and showed him love. 
There was something about in the exchange with Jesus in this moment that this, this rich guy sees something in the eyes of Jesus. And he says, man, I recognize that he was challenging me, not because he just wanted to be some sort of hard-nosed kind of figure. He was challenging me because he loved me. And one of the things really interesting about the fact that we get that, that detail in Mark and not in Matthew is because it's the kind of detail that someone gets in a really a first-person kind of way. Because the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't tell us, actually, they never name who this rich young ruler is. But there's this rich tradition, even in the early church, that even though the gospels don't name who it is, some of them, some of the early church leaders actually knew him personally. And his name was John Mark. He was Mark. Mark, the gospel writer, he is the one who looked into Jesus' eyes. Do I know that for certain? No. Would I stake my life on it? No. But there's a lot of circumstantial and good evidence, including the early church who said, a lot of people in the early church who said, this was Mark. And Mark wanted you to hear. He wants his readers to hear. He wants all of us to hear. That if you do hear the challenging words of Jesus, if you hear challenge in my words tonight, if you hear challenge in my words to say, I don't want you to come to college and have money, uh, pleasure, yourself, uh, popularity, whatever it is at the center of your life. If you find that challenge, you go, man, I, I want myself at the center. And I want my dreams and my stuff and all those goals that I have for my life, I want it at the center. I hope you hear from me tonight. I hope you hear a challenge to say, please don't go down that path. But I hope you hear it out of love. The love that Jesus had as he looked at John Mark and said, John Mark, if you don't give up those things that you are holding on to that you think make you special, then you'll never find the life that I have for you. But it's so cool and so amazing that apparently this rich young ruler, though he initially walked away sad, he eventually, it looks like, came back to Jesus and apparently did sell everything he had and did put Jesus at the center of his life. And I hope that's the story that you all have. I hope it's the story I have tonight, that this becomes the story of all our lives where Jesus, who wants to be at the center, he's the center of our lives for all our days. If you want to talk to someone tonight just about what that looks like for you, if you're just going, man, I, I came to college as a Christian I, or, or I came to college not as a Christian. I don't know where you're at. I know a lot of people come to CSF from a lot of different pathways, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I want this to be a home for anybody, everybody, wherever you're at. Yes, sometimes some events get crazy around CSF, and sometimes I go, oh, my gosh, should we really be doing this? That, but the thing that the thing that just gets me going is when I talk to people and they go, man, this is the first time I've ever heard that maybe Jesus isn't just some religious moralist uh, with rules for me to follow, but he really wants this good, amazing life for me. If you just want to talk or pray, we've got staff outside these back doors here. Uh, during, we're going to sing a few more songs. There's some people out there with some lanyards. You can just go talk with them, pray with them, whatever. There's no pressure whatsoever. Um, if, you, if you want to, though, they are out there. So let me pray for us as the band comes up here and we sing. Lord Jesus, you, you are our guide to fulfillment. You are our guide to happiness that we cannot get on our own, and we cannot get pursuing happiness and, and meaning and pleasure and all those sorts of things as the world defines it. 
We know that ultimate happiness, ultimate fulfillment only comes from following you. And so, Jesus, I pray that like that rich young ruler who had to wrestle with saying, man, I've got so much I don't want to lay down. But if the stories are true that we hear from some people, that that rich young ruler did eventually lay it down and did eventually find life, I pray that that would be the story people in here tonight. That